are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. And I'm going to read this morning from the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. Let me say before I read from the word of the Lord in this part of the Bible, that there's some truth here that could change your life and mine this morning if you want it to, if you let it. There's a great principle or truth set forth in this chapter that's literally revolutionary and life-changing. It could lift you out of the doldrums and put you on the mountaintop this morning. It could take you out of the valley and lift you up to plateaus of victory that God has in store for you this morning. So I pray, first of all, that God would open our hearts to hear the Word of God. And the Lord appeared unto him, this 18th chapter of Genesis, the Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. Now you not understand all this, I certainly don't, but these three men were from heaven. They were heavenly messengers. This happened frequently in the Old Testament. The appearance of God in some form or another, angelic form or human form, in the Old Testament. And that's what's happening here. These three men are representing the triune God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and all three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, there were three of them, but God is one God. They appeared in plural form. He addressed them in singular form. One God manifested himself in three persons. He said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort your hearts. Therefore are you come to your servant. They said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent under Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it, make cakes upon the hearth. Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good. Gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk from the calf which he dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat, and they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent, he said, I will certainly return unto thee. God is talking out, Abraham. I will certainly return unto thee, 
according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And let me mention to you now, before I read even any further, God is reconfirming a promise he made to Abraham when Abraham was 75 years old. He is now 99, and Sarah is 90. And God is saying, you are yet to have a child. I'll return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, and was by, that was, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed in herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, that's Abraham, my Lord, sing a small letter L, my Lord, being old also, and the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid, and he said, No, but thou didst laugh. And the women rose up from tents and looked toward Sodom. And the men rose up from tents and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Now keep in mind, Lot, Abraham's nephew, whom he brought out of the air, air, of, the, air of the Chaldees, is in Sodom. Now it says, And the men rose up from tents and looked toward Sodom. Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now, see whether they've done it all together according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from tents and went toward Sodom. And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. What a wonderful statement this passage closes with. And Abraham stood yet before the Lord. But I want to look with you at a great question this morning. And there are seven great questions in this chapter. For instance, in the next verse or so, Abraham, thinking of the destruction of Sodom, 
referring to saying, God, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? What a great question. There's seven of them in this chapter. But I want you to look with me this morning at a tremendous question in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now notice the one who's doing the speaking. This is not a question asked by man. This is a question raised by God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now the Lord had just discussed with Abraham again, as he had previously, a thing that would be, that would take a miracle. A thing that for man is impossible. What is the Bible said? With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God was discussing Abraham and Sarah the possibility of a man nearly a hundred and a woman in her ninety-first year having a baby. That would be impossible without a miracle from God. Sarah laughed. When she heard it discussed again, she's now gotten to be ninety. Abraham is ninety-nine. And Sarah laughed. Now, I don't think she laughed in ridicule. You know, the best way I know how to explain it is, suppose that you women were 90, 90 years of age, and your husband was a 99, and somebody said you were going to have a baby boy. What would you do? You'd laugh. That's exactly what you'd do. She was not laughing in ridicule. She was laughing at just that's the, the woman's nature. Me, 90 years of age, have a child, and uh, putting it in modern vernacular, she said, and look at that old man I'm married to. Why do you ladies say that? Why well, he's going on a hundred by putting it in modern vernacular. She might have said, oh, who are you kidding? But God began to speak. And the Lord said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now, God appeared to Abraham three times. He spoke to him many times. He appeared to him in chapter 12 and talked to him about a thing that was absolutely humanly impossible. He said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. One man with his family, God said, I'm going to give the whole land of Canaan to you. And chapter 12 and verse 6 and 7, God makes this promise, and the Bible said the Canaanite was then in the land. And God said to Abraham, I'll give it to you. He appeared to him again in the 17th chapter. And he said to him there, I'm going to bring my word to pass. He said, I'm almighty God. I'm the God who is enough for you. He appears to him the third time here to reconfirm his promises and to show him that God is unlimited in what he's able to do. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I was thinking of this tremendous question. First of all, I need to consider it. 
You never know unless you've been there what a what a place and responsibility we preachers many times feel we're in. You know, if we didn't have our eyes on the Lord, we would feel like the weight of the world was upon us. And many times we have to consider the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? I say, I'm going to consider it. I need it this morning. Is there anything, anything, anything God can't do that God would be unable to accomplish? Is there anything? I don't think there's a person in this building this morning but what needs to look right head on at that, at that question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I don't think there's such a thing as a person without need. You can have all the material things and need something else. I don't think there's a person in the world but what is constantly standing before God as it were with his cup held out and saying, Lord, fill my cup. I mean, everyone needs to face this question this morning. I don't, I doubt if there's a Christian here this morning, but what needs to have something done for them? With you it'd be one thing, with you it'd be another, and you'd be something else. But I doubt if there's a Christian here this morning, but what needs to have something done in their life, a home, a family, and their own heart, that they're saying, humanly speaking, it cannot be done. God will have to do it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I remember years ago when God spoke to my heart for the first time, I think, out of this tremendous challenging question. We need to consider it today. Many of God's people are discouraged. Many of God's people are despondent. Many of God's people are uninspired. And the answer to this question can strengthen your faith, lift you out of your discouragement, and out of your despondency, and it can inspire you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I, I, just, I, I just believe this morning God loves to do hard things. Now, you know, if God could do just, if God would do just something that I could do, nobody would take notice of it. They'd say, well, why, anybody can do that. Even Tom Malone can do that. But God majors in hard things. And he's saying this morning, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now, if I had the time, I would turn to the 32nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah and verse 17, and, and I don't have the time. But in that chapter, it answers this specific question. For there it states, not a question, but an answer. There it specifically says, there is nothing, nothing too hard for the Lord. God, ans God never asks a question, but what he furnishes the answer. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now I like to think, first of all, there's no promise too hard for God to fill. I don't know about you, I guess you're like I am. But I've lived all my Christian life on the promises of God. 
I've had to have promises for this and for that and something else in my life. The promises of God. I remember when I went to school at Philippians 4.19. My God supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I just literally stood on that promise. My God shall supply all your needs. I remember the first time I ever got on an airplane to go across the, the um, Atlantic Ocean and was back before the jet age. Took 13 hours in all. Landed in an awful storm on a little tiny island, uh, St. Helena, out in the Azores. Miss Malone and I left our first two children. They were small. And we were gone for 32 days in the Bible lands, Egypt and, and the, the Bible lands. And I remember before the, uh, when we walked out the night we could get on that plane, an old-fashioned prop plane, we got on that plane and we were going out the lobby of the hotel. There were big block letters, letters, and the headline of the paper, as high as this book, Plane Down in the Atlantic. How'd you like to read that just before you put your foot on the plane? And God gave me a promise. The eternal God is thy refuge, and unbelief are the everlasting arms. And I pictured myself and my wife that night has been literally carried, not by an airplane, but literally in the arms of the eternal God. And for 13 hours, we were going from New York, one landing on Little Island, and then into, uh, into Portugal, uh, Lisbon, Portugal. And I remember about the crack of dawn. I never saw such angry clouds. There, were light, there was lightning and winds, and there was darkness, not because of night, but because of the storm. And I remember the old airplane came down, and the pilots had all they could do, and uh, they made a pass at the airfield on that little, little island, just a little dot in the ocean, and they were not able to, to make it, and they went back up into the storm again and back around. And as we were coming around again, I said to my heart, The eternal God is my refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And I want to say to you this morning, You can live on the promises of God. Is anything too hard to the Lord? Listen, someone has said there are 30, as many as 30,000 promises in the Bible. Now here's what God says about his promises. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Listen, God can't lie. If God said something and it didn't come to pass, like God said, he'd cease to be God. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Listen to it. Hath he not said, shall he not do it? Hath he not spoken? Shall he not make it good? I like Second Corinthians 1.20. It says, The promises of God in him are yea, Y-E-A, yea, and amen. Why well, I, I get to think about that verse sometimes. Promises of God in him are yea. Now, we don't say yea, we say yeah. 
You know what you are means, don't you? Sure. Why, you say to one of your children, um, now did you hear me? He says, yeah, because I wasn't allowed to do that. I had to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. If I didn't, there were some very serious repercussions. But you know what yeah means? Uh, will you eat supper with me tomorrow night? Yeah. This Bible says the promises of God in Him are yay. Yes. And amen. Here's an instance where God Himself says amen to His own promises. Oh, listen. I have a feeling this morning that there are many of us need to get a hold of the promise of God and live on it and let it come to pass and be real in the heart and life of a Christian. Is there any promise too hard for God to fulfill? It's like the dear old saint, the dear old lady, lay dying, and she had the assurance of heaven, and she was going home to be with the Lord. Someone said to her, what if you get on the other side of death and you find that you really had lost your soul? She said, God would lose more than I would. They said, God would lose more than you would. She said, yes. She said, my soul might be at stake, but she said, God's honor is at stake. And if I got on the other side and pound, there's nothing to it. God would lose his honor. Let me tell you, my friend, the honor of God is at stake in every promise in the Bible. And there's no promise God will not bring to pass. You know, there's no, there's not a prayer that God can answer. Now, I mean a legitimate prayer. Um, the Lord has to teach us what real prayer is. As some folks think, prayer is just telling, commanding God, anything in the world you want. I don't really think it's that. It is telling God anything you need. Now, I've often said, my wonder is not really sanctified as my neither. God knows the difference. But I'm, when I'm, I'm talking about prayer in the name of Jesus, directed to the Father, for the only glory of God, there's no prayer he can't answer. Call upon me and I'll answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. I dare say there's not a person in this building this morning. But what if you would think of it and, and face it and, and then admit it? There's some great thing you're praying about. Everybody in this building. Some great thing you're praying about. Call upon me, I'll answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things. Now, I've been told that in the Hebrew language, the, the words fenced in, uh, it, it could be applied to this verse. God said, if there's something in the whole thing seems to be fenced in, call upon me, I'll answer thee. Show me great and mighty things, fenced in things that are humanly impossible. I'll show them to you. God answers prayer. You know, Jesus said, if you have faith the grain of mustard seed, you'll sail to this mountain, be removed and cast in the yonder sea, and it shall be done. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. Now listen, prayer is God's way out for you.
Are you in a, in a predicament? Are you in a situation? Prayer gets you out. Prayer is God's way out for you. Prayer is our way into Him. You can talk to God any time. You can get an audience with God any time. Uh, a man and his wife were talking to us last week, Ms. Malone and I, about an, an audience with the President of the United States. I can have an audience with the King of Kings any time. So can you. Prayer is your way into Him, and prayer is the way over thank God of every barrier. You know, nobody faces mountains. I, there are no exceptions. We're all walking along the road, and even in the will of God, you come to a mountain. You can't turn through it. You can't go around it. got to go over it. Prayer is God's way for mountain climbers to get on the other side. I heard of a little lady years ago that was praying for her needs, and she needed that day a loaf of bread. And that's what Jesus said when you pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. She was praying for a loaf of bread. And some little mischievous boys heard her praying. And um, so they made up a little trick. They said, let's get a loaf of bread and put it in the door. Make her thank God sent it. And uh, then when she gets it, we'll, we'll let her know. So they put it at the door. And they hid she came to the door and picked up the loaf of bread, and the boys jumped out of the bushes and said to the poor little lady, said, um, you, you, you didn't get a prayer answered. They said, we brought you the bread. And the old lady just smiled, and she said, oh, no, my father sent it, even if he used some devilish little imps to bring it. And listen, friend, you know God moves in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. And God moves in mysterious ways to answer prayer. I thank God for that. I want to tell you that's sweet to my soul. There's no, no prayer God cannot answer. There's no problem God cannot solve. You know, God is a problem-solving God. I don't have the time to develop it. You think of Israel at the Red Sea. An Egyptian army and a furious king who has vowed to destroy them hotly pursues them. There are mountains on either side and a raging sea in front of them. No way to go. But God parted the sea. He's a problem-solving God. I think of... of um, the four men and the paralytic. They had a man, they said, we want to get him to Jesus. So they, he was born of four. Be any born, carried of four. And they took him and they couldn't get in the house. They crowded all around. They could not get to Jesus. They didn't give up. There's somebody in that quartet that carried that crippled man but said, now listen, God can do anything. God can get us in that house. There was, there was a whiner in the crowd. You say, where do you read that? I don't read it in the Bible. I just know there's one there. You get four people together, and there'll always be one saying, well, you, we can't do this. You always have them. 
But there was at least one that believed that nothing is too hard for God. Said, let's go up on the housetop and tear the roof up. Somebody might have said, well, now that's going to cost money. You better bet your bottom dollar it did. Somebody might have said, now, this is unusual. And some, some folks will frown on this. You can depend on that. They tore up the roof, and down there stood the Son of God. And he looked up, and the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, these men who said, I believe God can do anything. God will get this poor man in the house where Jesus is. God has a way. God will open the door. God will give us an entree to Jesus. He looked up and saw their, their faith, and a man being let down in a sheet uh, in front of his feet, and he said, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that man will say, Let me tell you, are you trying to do something today? And you say, I can't get it done. I need the help of God. It's here for you. There's no problem God cannot save. You know, there's no place God can't revive. No place. No place. No place. I mean, I'm including Emmanuel Baptist Church. There's no place that can't have a revival. Jesus, uh, the Bible says, If my people which call by my name shall humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, and pray, then will I hear from heaven, heal their land. This is like the, the formula or the combination for a rock. You turn it to uh, about four places or so. My people which call by my name shall humble themselves. Turn from their wicked ways. Seek my face and pray. Then I will hear from heaven. Open the windows of heaven. Hear from heaven. That's the formula for revival. My people humble themselves. That's first. Did you notice God said humble themselves before prayer? Why, well, if we're going to have revival, first thing everybody think of, well, we better have a lot of prayer. And we should. But no, that's not first. Humble yourself. That's admitting you need one. That's where we start. We start with getting low, saying, Lord, we need it. If my people, which are called my name, humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face and pray. I'm, I'm going to stand here this morning and tell you that a revival changed the whole generation of my kinship. I never will forget a revival at a little place called Village Farms, Alabama, just a crossroad with some mailboxes and the abandoned schoolhouse. And I had a burden for my people, and I got the use of that schoolhouse and started a revival preaching morning and night. Well, I can see it now. It's as vivid in my mind. The roads literally became filled with people. They came in trucks and cars and wagons. They'd come in what they call hay wagons. They'd put hay for people to sit on. And they came literally by the hundreds until the little building couldn't hold them. And there were more people outside than there were inside. And I have a lot of, had a lot of relatives. And many of most of them were lost. I'd just been saved. And I wanted a revival. I never wanted anything anymore. I wanted my loved ones to be saved. I preached in the morning, preached at night. 
I remember one morning an aunt of mine stood up uh, before I preached. She's sitting out there. We put benches in. There's a large frame building. We put benches and seating in. In a morning service, my aunt stood up and her face was as white as this shirt. She knew what we needed. She knew we needed revival. She knew that our loved ones by the scores were lost and going to hell. She knew a lot of them were drunkards. She knew that many of them had never really heard the gospel, the pure gospel. And she stood up and she, her face is white. And she said, Tom, and her lips trembled. She's still living. She's uh, over 80, my mother's only sister. She stood up and she said, Tom, I've been praying for revival and her lips trembled. And the eye of tears ran down her face and she said, at four o'clock this morning, God gave me the assurance we were going to have a revival. She said, I prayed all night and at four o'clock, God put it in my heart, we're going to have a revival. My, we did. We saw the altars fill time and time again. I saw my dear grandparents, about 70 then, both of them, hadn't been in church since they were just young people and away from God, I guess lost without a doubt. I saw them come, sweet old gray-haired grandmother with her arm through my grandfather's. I saw them come and kneel. I saw a drunkard uncle. I saw aunts and cousins. I saw relatives by the dozens come. I'm saying to you, with one revival, God saved the whole generation of my people. Until I came to the place where I could literally praise God that as far as I know, there's not one relative that hasn't been saved. Some of them became Baptist deacons. One or two of them became preachers. You know, that's what we need. Now, you listen to me, please. That's what we need right now. We have but one problem. We need a revival. We don't have lots of problems. We have one. We need a revival from God. When a revival takes place, everything else will fall in place like a hand in a glove. There's no place God can't revive. You know, somebody has to believe God can send a revival and send it here and send it now. There's no person too hard for God to save. And I'm through. He saved the woman at the well. He saved the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. It's so sinful when she came and knelt in penitence and tears at the feet of Jesus to trust the Lord. But the people said, why, if he was a son of God, he'd know what kind of woman this is. That's how wicked she was. But he saved her. He said, woman, by faith to save thee. He saved a young rabbi, bigoted, egotistical, brilliant. He saved Saul of Tarsus. He saved the jailer. He saved the man... Nailed to a cross, just like Jesus was. And a man that was literally blessing uh, the Son of God. One of them said, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. But another thief nailed to the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
The Lord's power just reached out and took a soul off of the cross and saved it. And Jesus said, I'm going to take you to paradise with me right now. I'm preaching to scores of people. I don't know if your heart's burdened about it, but I'm preaching to scores of people have loved ones that are lost. And some of them, your mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, and some maybe children who are lost. Oh, let God burden your heart. But nobody the Lord can't save. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Please, in your heart right now, ask God to give you the faith to say, No. There's nothing that God cannot do. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.